Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? This is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, the cut-by-cut Francis Ford Coppola podcast, and this is a Cage Club Network production. What do you think? That's how you're doing it? I think so. I, I was going to make a suggestion. Go for it. Can you do the Marty Scorsese version? Oh, that was close already. Yeah, nice uh, nice show by Marty. Okay, hold on. Here we go. I'll try and do my Scorsese. <laughs> um, okay, what's this? What is this? Okay, uh, this is the uh, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. What kind of name is that? Uh, the Cut by Cut Francis Ford Coppola Podcast. Uh He's on a lot of coke in this impression. Uh, and this is a Cage Club Network production. What's Cage Club? What is this? What, what did I just read? That's my Marty of the era. <laughs> bueno, Sera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. Then I guess we can start, Brian, because uh, here I am, straight back from San Francisco and my trip to Zoetrope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So happy to be talking again, Mike. I know what some of the nephews and nieces are thinking out there. When are you guys going to do another movie? We'll do like another true movie soon. Kind of want to rearrange things a little for what's going to be our Valentine's Day episode. But today sort Ah. of... You know what we're doing, Mike, so... (laughs) I know, I know. Today is more of... I don't want to say a grab bag because we are covering something. We're covering uh, a legacy of filmmakers, the early years of American Zoetrope documentary. More on that later. But we have a bunch of other stuff to talk about. Before that, though, a mm. reminder to keep your friends close and your fellow podcasters closer and hit that subscribe button <laughs> wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a positive review. Also, follow us on social media. I should get around to making a Twitter soon because Twitter does still exist. But for now, we are just on Instagram, <laughs> at Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I was just going to say, like, at the time of this recording, we don't have a Twitter. Uh, we might soon, but then in the far distant future, you know, when people are listening to us in the year 3000, and, and you know, Twitter might not be around then either. So get or, on that Twitter is what or- I'm trying to say, Brian. Get that Twitter made. Alternatively, everything might be Twitter. You know, Twitter ah. might be the government at that point. And we, we've all been downloaded into Twitter, and that's where our brains exist. Who knows? <laughs> I was also thinking, keep your, keep your friends close and your podcasters closer. Is that, the, is that what you say? Yeah. That would be a good shirt. You make that shirt. You could put that on a shirt. You could that Ooh. and uh, leave the podcast, take the cannoli. That'd be a shirt. Who had it at home? Who had it at home? How soon we would get into planning the podcast on the podcast? That might be a record. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the show hasn't even officially really started and <laughs> talking about it. And, and this is Uncle Francis' Wine Cellar, and I can't really start without me introducing the wine I'll be drinking tonight. Mike, I'm assuming you're not partaking? 
Correct. It's a little late in the hour for me to, to have a little wine. I'm having my standard coffee. Unfortunately, it's not Victoria coffee. We'll, talk, we'll get into that story a little bit later. <laughs> we'll definitely will. It's in my notes. It is late for me as well, but the show must go on. Against medical advice, I will be opening a bottle of wine. It is a couple of wine, Mike, but if you look at it, nice. it looks different, right? Yeah, what's that label? So this is another brand that the Coppola Family Vineyard puts out. Um, normally, I bring on stuff from the Diamond Collection. You might have heard me say that on here before. This is different. This is Coppola Rosso and Bianco. I don't know what the Italian mm. name is. I want to say E like Spanish, but... Uh-huh. <laughs> Rosso and Bianco. And Mike, I wanted to open it up today because it's is a very personal wine to Francis. And, and he has two Whoa. messages on the bottle. First, on the front... And this is the Rosso, obviously. It's the red. The the Bianco is the white. And I haven't had either, but... Rosso. My family has always made wine. To hear it from my father, Carmine, these were not fancy wines. They were everyday wines. Wines that were on the dinner table each night. Our Rosso and Bianco wines are made in the same spirit. Wines for everyday life. Francis Coppola. Nice. You know what? You know it'd be great if you made a wine specifically for podcasters. <laughs> and uh, the back, there's a nice little message too. Um, my first impression about the wine was really at age five or six, and it comes from a memory of my father's father, Agostino Coppola. In those days, during <laughs> Prohibition, they would make wine in their New York City basement in a big homemade concrete fermenter. They weren't fancy wines, mind you, but pleasurable, everyday wines that reflect the comfort of home. Our Rosso is made in the same spirit. It's a wine for everyday life. So I'm getting that you would not, I mean, obviously, but you would not age this wine. This is just a wine you would drink with dinner every day. It was a little cheaper than the other ones, so that makes sense. Um, And I'm excited to try it. Excellent. I like it. I like the uh, label. I like all the. Uh, I like the little messages and everything. Very cool. Very cin- cinematic, right? Very cinematic. Like, <laughs> do you think there's a THX wine? I don't think so. I think uh, <laughs> probably not. But uh, there might be Star Wars wines. I wouldn't be surprised about that. I'm sure at some point, like that came up even in their conversations. Like, like, like a uh, like George, make a, a Star Wars wine. A Darth Merlot? <laughs> Would that be something? Is that anything? <laughs> Darth Merlot. I kind of messed up the opening of this. I mean, not the opening okay. of the podcast, the opening of the wine. I think we're doing mighty fine when it comes to the podcast. So, <laughs> Steph. Mike, we are talking remotely today, but the right. good news to those out there we actually met in real life the other day i came over your house briefly that was fun. <laughs> thank you for having me yeah i love it because you make it sound like we've never met before <laughs> in podcast world we haven't in like the world of the well show, I, mean, I mean we meet every in week this here show, in no but like as far as this show is concerned we've we've met up since we've started this show even uh so don't make it once. seem like we've not like you know, once yes but we've seen each other on the regular before you know i love what you're trying to do 
we're not able to enjoy a glass of wine together. So I'll pour one out for you and me and drink it Thank on the you. air. Um, and I'm getting ready to post, a, well, again, planning the show, but I have been prepping a little bit of the YouTube stuff. Uh, nothing. No, don't post anything without telling me first. <laughs> of course, of course. But you know that I made a video diary of that day when we exchanged yes. some gifts. I did. And we dropped no, we no. dropped some news in that video diary. I won't spoil it, but just tune into our social media for when that potentially drops, and uh, you know you'll find out about a future episode, and you get a little tour. Uh, of Mike's home and see some goodies and see some Coppola and mm-hmm. non Coppola related things. And, uh, you know, it was a good time. Nice. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing your half of the video diary where we go over your abode and cool stuff as well. But I'm glad that we can meet in spirit in this wine cellar. It just feels good to be down here. The cool, you know, the coolness <laughs> of the wine cellar, the barrels around us. Like that always feels really, really good. Um, Mike, when we were chatting together in person, like I said, it was nice. We were talking about our previous episode a little bit because we had a blast on our previous episode. The White Lotus episode was so much fun. Um, I hope you guys tuned into that. Again, wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, I uh, I had a good time at that episode. I liked it. I mean, this is this is sort of going to be an episode like that where we don't discuss a movie proper, where we have kind of a... Something related. This is definitely more related than that was, but that was about the Godfather, and it's always fun to see Godfather and pop culture. And it actually gave me an idea for a show in the future, uh, which is we've sort of been collecting clips from The Simpsons that have related not just to The Godfather but to Coppola. Uh, they they do a lot of movie references on that show, and they did do an entire episode about Fat Tony's son Michael. So <laughs> you know, I, I look forward to doing sort of a, a Simpsons hodgepodge in the future. Yeah, no, I can't wait for that. Another thing on that episode that really I think inspired you from our conversations is. Uh, the Al Pacino coffee little tangent we did. Those commercials oh, were right. amazing. And uh, you were telling me that you were trying to track down the brand? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I like coffee. I like getting all different kinds of coffee now and again. And, I, you know, I basically was like, that set me off on a mission. I want to get some Vittoria coffee and I want to drink it and I want to do it on the show and I want to give the review and it'll be like Al Pacino. Maybe we shoot a little black and white commercial, uh, <laughs> post that on our Patreon. But I discovered online that uh, when I went to go buy it, it's in Australia, like the homepage of Vittoria coffee. They do have a U.S. shop, but it's Australia's number one pure coffee brand. I don't remember learning that from the commercial, but, you know, I went through the whole thing until I found out that it's from Australia, so I didn't go ahead and order it, but then I saw they have a U.S. shop, but the U.S. shop, while it sells ground beans and beans and stuff, it only sells their espresso. It doesn't sell their coffee, so (laughs) it set me off on some wild goose chase across the internet to try and find someplace in America or someplace that will ship me this coffee in America, and I'll be damned if I didn't just think I found the place, and now I don't know where it went. Um, (laughs) Let me see. No, this is also Australia. See, like, everywhere I turn and everywhere I look, it doesn't seem to be around. Let's see. Oh, Drake's. 
Okay, so I finally found it on on Drake's supermarket. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, where the um, hell is Drake's supermarket? I think. Oh no, they're also in Australia. So okay. never mind that. <laughs> like, here's the thing, folks. Like, I cannot get this coffee for some reason. I'm, I'm, but, but I'm, Mike, I was thinking about this. We have an Australian friend on this very network, Shawnee Mead. Oh, we do, do we not? Yes. She works with your partner on The Monsters That Made Us with their own show, Podcast Around the Corner, Nor Efron Podcast. And maybe I'll shoot Shawnee a message or maybe we can you know, mm-hmm. just ask her and be like, Hey, Shawnee, if it's not too much trouble, what is it, Vittoria Coffee? Yeah. I know coffee. There's two things I know. Coffee and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Oh, coffee. The other thing I know is certainly not acting, right? <laughs> I made a funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe Shawnee can get it for us. I don't know, but we'll track down that Victoria good coffee. Call. Good call. Yeah. If we have any cellar dwellers in Australia, maybe you want to send it to us. Or if you are Victoria Coffee and you're listening right now, yep. you can sponsor That's the show. We are looking for an official <laughs> coffee sponsor. Because the other alternative, Mike, if you want an Al Pacino sponsored coffee, you could go get a Dunkachino. It's not Al, it's Dunk. What's that name? <laughs> yeah, I've, I have plenty of Dunkin' Donuts all the time. You know, the, the goal was to have some Victoria, something new, something fresh and, and related to the show. And, you know, like I said, maybe film a promo. Uh, but, you know, if they're listening and they want to send us coffee themselves, that'd be great. You know, we're always looking to do some free advertising for the companies. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll sell your product on the air. You know, right? No, so, not uh, free. But, not free, Mike. We want free. No, no. Please, you right? know what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, endorsements. Endorsements. Endorsements, uh, If yes. you will. And speaking of en- endorsements that we don't get paid yeah. for, I'm really enjoying this. It is a light table drinking red. I could see eating with it. So, so <laughs> check it nice. out. A, a cheaper version of the usual Copa line, but cheaper doesn't mean worse. I think it just means more naturally drinkable again a table red so uh, definitely you know you'll see me drinking at the rest of the episode very cool you know vittoria wasn't meant to be uh, well i guess it was if i was able to get my hands on it the vittoria was going to be like the segment you know like the uh the coppola what do we call it coppola market mike's market whatever it is oh, <laughs> Something, oh. uh items related to the show that we find and we talk about. Remember that Mike's merch that table. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Mike's yeah. merch. Uh, Mike's couple of merch. Well, you'll have so to it, think of something guess, else. Well, I do have something else. I have something else that's also related to a different part of the show. So the stand hasn't been opened yet. So hold on. Okay. Yeah. Getting ahead. Getting ahead. Getting we're, ahead. We're, uh, jumping the gun a lot tonight. Because this is the most important segment we're going to have today. Is <laughs> no, it's not. This is not even worth cutting you off for uh i was like what did my notes what did i want to say oh yeah uh that we missed an uncle connection in the white lotus (laughs) oh (laughs) because of course uncle francis we're all uh you know funkles here in the cage club podcast network in one way or another but uh, i forgot uh john grease who god what the hell's his character's name in the white lotus because he's in both seasons i want to say gordon for some reason (laughs) (laughs) definitely not gordon but that's great Greg. Yeah, Greg, duh. So Greg, a main person in both seasons. 
And I was like, where do I know him from? Like the entire time. And then I was randomly watching Napoleon Dynamite because, you know, I hosted nice. a show, high school slumber party. I just watched teen films. And I was like, holy shit, he's Uncle Rico. One of the most famous uncles in cinema history. I love Uncle Rico. Yeah. I bet you I could throw a football over those mountains, you know? <laughs> great uncle vibes from him. Yeah, looks so different. What a great actor. And and I just, digging a little deeper, he was Laszlo, the guy in the in the closet in Real Genius. Oh, wow. The Kilmer movie. Wow. Genius. He's in that, too. It's another high school connection for you, right? Yeah. Um, or is that college? I th- thought that was like uh, Smarty Pants High School, but could be college. You might be right. Anyway, you know where I recognized him from? He looks a lot like a friend of mine that does that has been doing some work on the house, actually. He <laughs> looks just like he looks just Whoa. like my handyman. Well, does he look like him in the White Lotus, or does he look like him in Napoleon? In the Dynamite? White Lotus, okay. in the White Lotus, he looks just like him in the White Lotus. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, and and there's a sort of Mike White connection there. Mike White wasn't involved in Napoleon Dynamite, but Jared Hess was, and Jerusha Hess, and they wrote uh, Nacho Libre together with Mike White. So oh yeah, maybe they were talking about love the Nacho Libre. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. So yes, not worth stopping Mike's merch table for. So I apologize for that. So it's Mike, okay. Why no don't worries. You, why don't you open the merch stand? What is this place? What is it that you do here? Merchandising. Merchandising? What's that? Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Open up this door. <laughs> Come, walk this way. Take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. Oh, should I? Because uh, in order to do that, uh, I also have to talk about a video I made you watch because of the episode we had with the White Lotus. We were talking about lots of other stuff. That's where we found out about the coffee. So should okay. we do it now? Yeah, let's do it now. So you gave me a little homework, Mike, and why don't you introduce yeah. this video? So I gave you a little homework because I saw this and it really like I I watched this show. It's now a YouTube show. It's the Action Bronson show. Fuck, that's delicious. And so this F. new oh, pardon me, <laughs> F. That's delicious. <laughs> want me to do a clean one for you? No, no, I was kidding. We're, that. <laughs> We're not clean here. So I was looking, uh, you know, on the Instagram, I was like, oh, we've got a new episode. And this one I felt we needed to talk about on the show because he goes to, and I quote, the best cannoli in New York City. He goes to the Fortunato Bros, New York City. It's two, I'll give him a shout out in case they're listening and want to send us some cannolis. It's 289 Manhattan Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11211. If anyone wants to go there, send us cannolis from this place. He went there, he did a video, and it showed you how to make cannolis. It was crazy. It was mind blowing. All types of baking is hard. It's a lot of physical work, it's manual. It puts you in different positions. Form. It's form, it's awkward positionings. This is contortion. Here it's all about pressure on the right angle. This is upside down. It's the wrong side of the dough? No, 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 no. It's to this. The, the, the oh, we're good. Right? Okay. Just tell me when. Well, it's my first day. Harder. It's just like a fucking Italian guy to get mad at you 
first day you ever tried something. <laughs> uh, tell your fan I left to meet you at the crossroads. Uh, hit him with the crossbow like AI hit Jordan with the crossover. Is this proper attire? Yeah, well, All right. come on, bro. I'm saying, you have the fucking Fila collab and I don't. No. Today we're making cannolis. Are these the dowels? These are the dowels. These are the famous dowels. I feel like this is like a universal love language. What's your name? Yeah. That's my cousin. Yeah, yeah Joe. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So on the sheet, it goes to the dough. It gets sheeted back and forth. We get it down to the right consistency. Are we getting it to the, to the last point yes. now? Yes. Do you use it for anything else other than the cannoli? No. When things ain't broke, you don't fix it. It's like driving an old Fiat. <laughs> Keep adding flour to it. How thin do you want to get this? Like all the way down. He's got it going. That's it. All right, beautiful. Nice. It was amazing. Um, I'm actually familiar with that shop. I don't know if I've been. I think I've had it, but I don't think I've been in person. Uh, the Uncle Francis's wine cellar. Instagram page already followed them, so it may, leads me to believe that I was like hot on this, you know, before the video. But uh, other people that actually <laughs> okay. sent me this because when did it come out? Like uh, mid uh, mid January, or like even like a week and a half ago? Yeah, this is, this is a new yeah, one. Yeah, not right? very long ago. Let me check. Yeah, it's the it's the latest episode up on YouTube, and so like twenty yeah, third, like January twenty third. Yeah, yeah, I took the I sent it to you at like 2 p.m. <laughs> His stuff is so good. You know, Action Bronson, Queens guy. I love it. So he does a lot of local stuff. I think he's half Albanian or some part Albanian. Yep. My cousin and I recently went to a couple of restaurants in the Bronx, not far from me, like Albanian places that he had gone to in the show. They were amazing. Up by Arthur Avenue where they make some good cannolis as well. So yeah, oh, yeah. this was so yeah. cool. And you know how cannolis make me feel... Stomach wise, mm -hmm. but they give me joy. Right. <laughs> I wanted to bite exactly. into these cannolis. The process was so intricate and and amazing. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much. I want people to go check it out and have their minds kind of blown from themselves because it was a lot different than I was expecting. Like, not that it's like this insane process, but there is a process and it's a very particular one. And it was cool. And like, I don't know. He made it look almost like a workout at one point. And I liked how they showed how they filled the cannolis and they were doing the different ones. But you definitely got to see. It's always fun to see like in the kitchen behind the scenes. Uh, and they make it especially entertaining. And Mike, as you know, we are still open to a cannoli sponsorship here on the show. We, we are still vetting through your proposals. But if you do have a proposal, please send it to us via our social media slide into our dms if i didn't mention already i'm at oh my rodriguez on twitter ohmy rodriguez mike you're at the mikester pretty much everywhere um but you know fortunato brothers might be in the lead right now so if one of the mm -hmm. brothers is listening please uh slide into our dms give us an offer give us an offer we can't refuse which would be cannolis for mentioning your cannoli shop. <laughs> I'm, I'm just letting you know that that's probably yep. what it would take. But, but slide into our DMs, and you could be our official cannoli, the official cannoli of the wine cellar here. So, Mike, a mouth-watering video. Thank you for sharing, and I hope you guys check it out, yes. too. So there it is. There's 
the merch table for today. Oh, your merch is a cannoli? Yeah, man, that's that's the ad. Like, yeah, I've you know, I thought that would be cool. No, is that dumb? It <laughs> is good. The it's merch great. is no, it's I, great. I mean, if if it's ever gonna be the cannoli, I figured that would be a good instance to to burn that card. You know. <laughs> so so. A Fortunato Brothers cannoli. I love it. I love it. Right. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so you know, I've had a tradition the last couple of weeks of finding something at the Academy store. They're adding new stuff oh, right. every week. So, so I didn't really know what to pick this week. Just sent you the link, Mike. It's a magnet? <laughs> the price is $10 for you and me. $9 if you're a member of the academy or the academy museum oh my God. um it is a what one dollar discount and it's just a magnet that says he sleeps with the fishes and a black magnet and it's got what? like the fish in the newspaper at the bottom dude what is what the what the hell is this crap no i love how in the in the top crap is the godfather Dude, hold on. In the top corner, it says The Godfather. In the other corner, it says Established 1925. In the bottom, it says This is Business. And then on the other side, it says Not Personal. Brian, this magnet is so uninspired. Like, the magnet should be shaped like a fish. I had the same problem with the car freshener last week. (laughs) It should have been shaped like a marionette. Like, what is their deal? What is my problem? Is it my OCD? I was like, I'm just trying to make it more fun. This is so bland. What did I do to deserve this bland magnet? <laughs> well, apparently this was created by an artist in conjunction with the museum's gallery exhibit, The Art of Movie Making, The Godfather, that celebrates the 50th anniversary of the Academy Award-winning film. I hope it's not going to be just this year. I might have to fly to L.A. or we might have to fly to L.A. to check this out. Brian, 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 the, the, this, this, this image, like, it's the fish wrapped in the paper bag, but it, the photo job, the Photoshop job is just like, it looks terrible. Like, maybe it's my resolution. I don't, oh, I do like on the back, though. If you look on the back, it's engraved with the Godfather. That, that's Ooh, nice. That is nice. That is nice. So I guess you're not a fan of this piece. I just thought it was an interesting <laughs> piece for the fridge, especially if, if you eat a lot of fish. Maybe it's a fish refrigerator. <laughs> I guess. Oh my god, that's he sleeps hilarious! With the fishes, I gotta do a better job of posting Thank these. But the thing is, like Instagram's not that great at posting these, so that's why the Twitter is coming. I promise you, people. So that was uh, hilarious. I love it. We could eat your cannoli and sleep with the fishes. Yeah. Oh man, that's too much. We should, you know, I love being surprised by what you find in the store. But we could have coordinated. Like I could have gotten like some kind of fish to promote uh, <laughs> in that way. And been like, yeah, it's related to that very famous scene in The Godfather when they talk about fish. <laughs> and Mike, if you've ever been to an Italian restaurant, Bronzino is always the fish of the day for whatever reason. I can guarantee you there that. There we go. <laughs> All right. So another classic, classic Uncle Francis segment coming up. Mike Appella. Oh, is this... Where in the world is the Godfather streaming? So we're recording on February 1st, and I checked it this morning. I'm going to check it one more time live on the air. Where is the Godfather streaming? Because last I checked, it was still on Peacock. And yes, 
It is still on Peacock. So it should be on Peacock all, right. all month. Paramount is given the rights to Peacock. And we'll see when it goes back to Paramount or where it goes somewhere else. Or maybe we'll have to wait all year and it'll go back to AMC for the Thanksgiving Christmas thing. We did get some Paramount news this week, which was very, very interesting, I thought. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, first, I'd just like to say it's definitely going back to AMC during the holidays. Like, that's just a given. You know, if you need to see it, that's when you see it. But, like, yeah, why don't you proceed with, uh, you know, any Paramount news is news news. So, news away. Especially for us, because when we were covering the offer, we were like, wow, it's so amazing that Paramount won this little Hollywood battle here because in the offer they're like the seventh or eighth best studio they look like they're falling apart and we were like in 2022 when we were monitoring this the fact that CBS Viacom all these other companies have decided to go into the Paramount umbrella for their streaming service name we're like that's awesome because it's like a studio with like a real old school reputation and a lot of hits and It's even been enhanced this week because Showtime, which was like the fancy property of the CVS, Viacom, Paramount portfolio, um, is merging along with Paramount+. Plus. Now, you could always get that add-on for it. And The Godfather was on Showtime for a while, so you could do the add-on with Paramount+. Plus. But now they're just renaming Showtime, a channel with like, which somewhat rivals HBO. It's never like been on HBO level, but it's been close at times they're renaming that channel with all the history paramount plus showtime or something along those lines so interesting but everything's going under the paramount plus banner which what do you what do you think our our buddy Hmm. would say uh i think it's a Bobby, that's the smartest decision you've ever made. You're doing it right. You're keeping a Paramount name alive, and you're doing it right. You're taking everything around you, and you're grabbing it, and you're making it part of Paramount, and that's what I like to see. That takes guts. That takes balls. Brass, big brass balls. Robert Evans is probably celebrating somewhere. I'm not sure if it's up or down, but he's definitely... Somewhere, somewhere for sure. <laughs> he's, he's definitely celebrating this because the mountain has conquered them all. I love it, personally. And speaking of Robert Evans, producer of The Godfather, great, great character in The Offer. How good was that performance? Matthew Good, we can, could not stop talking about how amazing he was. He was the highlight actor from that show, and we were like, yeah. where are the nominations? Where are the nominations, right? Yeah, well, it turns out we, we found some. So he was actually nominated, finally, for a Critics' Choice Award this year. And the Critics' Choice, you know, the, the only one that truly matters are <laughs> the critics in the end, right? Uh, no, but seriously, like, that was awesome to see. Like, I was very jazzed to know that at least he got some recognition. Yeah, because, I'm sorry, it's an Emmy snub, it's a Golden Globe snub. We're still not sure what year it qualifies for, because I was looking up awards right, for the right. offer, and like there are some local critic associations who have nominated stuff for the 2022. 2023, though, okay. Critics' Choice Awards, Matthew Good. Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series or a yes. Movie Made for Television. So I'm not sure when the Critics' Choice Awards are. They're in that award season so hopefully 
he gets the award and he'll, and well, no, it was it happened. I watched it. Oh, I watched it on TV. Yeah, he did not win. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, saw it happen on the air. So, right. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, at least he got nominated, right? That's right. I mean, it was this year, so you know, uh, maybe it's the first of many nominations to come. Maybe now, like it's rolled over. The show is rolled over into this award year or whatever so we'll see yeah i hope so <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say i hope so but yep. let's just give our roses here uncle francis wine cellar once more to matthew good for his amazing performance as robert evans in the offer and i want to do some robert evans yes. stuff at some point in the show we got to read mm-hmm. the book we got to watch the doc we'll get back to bob evans but yeah we should watch I mean, the cartoon we got to see the the cartoon series that he did he did a cartoon series? Yeah. So here, I'll look it up real quick. It was on Comedy Central. It was called Kid Notorious. And it's an animated show. It's like a web animated show back in those days. I guess it was like 2003. I mean, there were, there were half-hour sitcoms, but um, I don't think he did the voice of himself. But there is a cartoon, <laughs> but I don't. I think he did do it. Yeah, he is. It says Robert Evans as himself, a Playboy Hollywood producer who finds himself mixed up in bizarre and absurd situations, but never loses his cool. Oh my God, that's hilarious. I didn't know that existed. Alan Selka, his long-suffering butler, is played by himself as well, I guess. A running gag. Oh my God. I don't know. He's got his cat puss puss slash... Uh, as himself, the former lead guitarist for Guns N' Roses, as in real life, Slash was Evans's close friend and next door neighbor. I oh did not God. know that. That is insane. <laughs> so we got to watch some of this show. Speaking of insane, Mike, I checked my credit card bill. The streaming services, uh-huh. there's so many of them. That's like all my money goes to streaming services. But we're podcasters. We got to watch and wine movies. and wine. And wine and wine. Well, hopefully we'll get a wine sponsorship someday. I don't know if we'll get a stream. We need a we need a Paramount. We need some Paramount sponsors. Like stream us up. True, true. And then I was, you know, going to work because I gotta pay for all these streaming services mm-hmm. and the wine. And I'm you know, walking through the station at forty second street and I'm seeing all these signs for another streaming service. Have you seen this one, Mike? MGM Plus? Why are you talking about MGM Plus? What? What are they going to show? What is left? I-, I don't know. I think MGM got a little jealous. Oh, I guess. it used to be that network, Epics. Oh, okay. So Epics is shedding all of their new, new persona, and they're doing a Paramount, and they're saying, where do we come from? What is the oldest name? in our book, right? And it's MGM, Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Is that right? Mayer? I don't know. It's It seems like a completely telegraphed, oh, Paramount Plus did it? Let's just be MGM Plus. <laughs> no, I definitely hear you. But I mean, I feel like this is what we were talking about. What's so smart about Paramount was like finding the first name, right? Like how far back can we go? And like what name can we uncover that people will know from like almost a hundred years ago now, or at least, you know, 70 to be like prestige. And I guess 
you know, whatever this app and service was, it, it all traces back to MGM, Metro Goldwyn Mayer. So like, you know, this is kind of what I said about HBO Max, just call yourself Warner Brothers. Get it over with. I've thought about this, but I just feel like Warner feels too cartoony, unfortunately, like too much of a Looney Tunes connotation there where it's like, oh, an amazing thing from Warner Brothers. Like Warner Brothers has, I don't want to say tarnished their reputation because that's not it at all. I love the Looney Tunes. But like when I see the Warner mark, I'm not like, oh, no. This is going to be some real shit right now, you know? Like, No, I hear you. I get where you're coming from, you know? But, like, they've also got a very fresh history of, like, great crime and action movies. And, like, I remember when The Nice Guys, one of my favorite movies of all time, came out. Uh, it started with the old red background and the black and white Warner Brothers logo from the 70s and 80s. And I was just like, oh, that is perfect, you know? So while I hear you about Looney Tunes and all this... I think I'm a little more worried that their reputation's been tarnished by DC at this point mm. <laughs> in all of the superhero <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I guess MGM Plus is not just a streaming service. I think it's like a network. I saw the Plus. Now that I look at it, like I saw the Plus and I thought it was just a streaming service. But you can get it on cable. It looks like you have to pay a little extra for it. Um, uh-huh. I wanted to bring it up, too. Because, like, the big show that they're promoting, like, the big tentpole show on MGM Plus is The Godfather of Harlem. That's pretty funny. Like, not that that show's funny, but just that it's, like, The Godfather, you know, also. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It stars Forrest Whitaker. It actually looks pretty cool. It's just funny that, like... Oh, cool. Oh, you know what? I just saw a commercial for that, and and I said to the television, I was like, "Oh, Saul Guerrero, he's in a new show." <laughs> Forrest Whitaker. So that's like my favorite Star Wars character, even though he's like been on screen the least. <laughs> um, you know what's interesting? Not a new show. I really thought it was, but I just oh, really. Clicked, <laughs> I just clicked the Wikipedia article. It's been on three years, at least three no. seasons. As much as I wanted to criticize the MGM Plus marketing, it got me to look into the show. It got me to, you know, be curious and got me to realize that the Godfather of Harlem exists. So I guess it's not a bad thing, right? Like, it, No, it's true. Nobody cared when it was on Epics, and now that it's on, uh, what, MGM Plus? MGM. I'm telling you, it's that prestige. It's that prestige. It's that, like, even if you don't care like it's just an old name at this point you know and the fact that it's still around it's like when they whoever brought new line cinema back was like that's a marketing move you know people remember that logo and that name from the 80s and 90s and it's like to see that again kind of i don't know at least for me i like to see that stuff it adds a little more of like value you know and it says like oh we know what we're trying to do here as opposed to i don't know not entertain you not appease you you know it might be fan service but i appreciate it yeah no i mean I, again i came on here thinking i was gonna like what is this i don't want another streaming service but i think the point was made live on air like it yeah i'm still not gonna 
get it. Like I can't, I can't afford any more streaming. I can barely afford the ones that I have, you know? So it's like, I'm not good. I just canceled my Amazon prime for crying out loud. Like I'm not getting uh, MGM minus or whatever. They're doing. MGM, <laughs> MGM multiplication. I promise you guys, we're going to talk about a legacy of filmmakers, the early years of American Zootrope, but a couple more uh, segments to go through. Uh, first, let's get this out of the way, Mike. Do the little news thing. Oh, sweet. Is it that time? Okay. <clears throat> Megalopolis news. Megalopolis. I added I added me actually tapping on, nice. on the telegraph machine too. <laughs> <laughs> Megalopolis, what some are calling Francis Ford Coppola's boondoggle. Not us here. We are so excited for it. We... Is that a term? A boondoggle, yeah, just like you know, a folly, like oh, like foobar, kind of like something, or a little bit, a little bit, yeah. His folly, I like calling it that. Uncle Francis's follies. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we brought you the news that the production team was fired, or the special effects team, whatever it was. People were saying this movie wasn't going to get made, and Francis put out a statement that says. He was excited for it. Um, we're still rocking and rolling. They're still filming. Production has not stopped. And the latest news is that Giancarlo Esposito was added to the cast. So if they're adding people yeah. to the cast, one, they're still rocking and rolling. Two, I love how they're adding to the cast mid-production. But that is so cool, oh. right? Yeah, but I mean, that's how movies are made nowadays. Like, uh, with technology and green screen that you know juan carlo doesn't even need to be in the room with the people in the scene with him you know they could be acting against the double but like also you know it's kind of like uncle francis i love this method it's like oh we'll cast it when we get to filming it kind of is how it feels you know it's like the way he keeps adding actors it seems like he started the movie without casting it and it's like oh it's time to film this slot like who do we get is aubrey plaza free does she would she like to be in my movie yes it's like okay we got to film it's it's onto this character stuff like we need an actor colin juan carlo like it also feels like everyone wants to be in this movie so francis can just like get pretty much whoever he wants to be in this movie so far and that doesn't mean they're not going to go storming off at some point or another and he's going to need to replace him but it's going <laughs> to like i i'm it's going to be like bigger than the cast of a knives out film by the end of this thing <laughs> and I, again i cannot wait i'm getting a lot of american zoetrope energy from that right like oh yeah oh yeah even though it's a big production it feels so gorilla because he's financing it oh, himself yeah. he's doing it his way and, That's oh it. My God, when this movie comes out, Mike, ugh, we're gonna be we're gonna be there Dude, opening night. So so many episodes about this movie, but I think you nailed it. Like it's the spirit of Zoetrope. I could feel it, especially after watching this documentary. I mean, the way he talks about making Megalopolis feels like the way he talks about you know making the Rain People or whatever, or like those early movies, or like even the godfather at times and stuff it's like you could just feel the spirit and then it just reminds you that the spirit of zoetrope was go out there and do it like that was the basically like the the theory behind that entire thing like we could do it ourselves like well you know at least they had a benefactor in francis he had all the money <laughs> he could buy all the equipment and everything but like he's doing it again it's like using his own money 
buying his own equipment, basically resurrecting the studio just to make one more movie. It's like fantastic. Selling off the wine. I love it. And uh, Dan Colon sent us a tweet. Your good buddy, Dan Colon, from someone named DJ Mecca, not DJ Mikester, DJ Mecca. And it's a great (laughs) shot. And it's so true. It's just, I guess it's him, but it's somebody holding a bottle of Coppola wine at the liquor store. And the caption says, whatever it takes to get Megalopolis made. That's right. Whatever it takes, get out there, <laughs> your, your seller dwellers, and buy up the uh, stock of Coppola wine at your local liquor store. <laughs> and I don't think that matters now, actually, because I believe he sold it off already. Well, well, well solidarity, you know, in numbers. Exactly. Just show that, that we support in any way, you know. <laughs> 100%. What can you do now? What can you do? I guess go buy uh, a new copy of all of his movies in 4K, HD, Blu-ray, whatever, you know, get get the new Twixt. Get oh yeah, get all the get all the copies of all the movies. I don't even have all the cuts on physical media. Like I can't. Like it's impossible at this point. There's too there's too much going on. One more bit of news and couple of news that I wanted to share. Uh, the Godfather, Joey Lewandowski, your partner on so many podcast on this network yes. here el hombre see sent a nicholas cage coppola related article from the digital fix did you get a chance to read this one i have not i figured i'd save it for the show and we could get some instant reaction we had said this on your podcast third time's a charm when we had done a deep dive together on the godfather 3 we'll do another one for this podcast i promise you out there but <laughs> nicholas cage is embarrassed. He asked his uncle, (laughs) Francis Ford Coppola, to put him in The Godfather 3. Now, there were rumors that he was considered for The Godfather 3, but now Nicolas Cage is speaking out, and he admits probably not the best idea. I think he was going to play the Andy Garcia character. Oh, that would not have gone well. Oh, sorry. He admitted it to the Hollywood Reporter. Okay, you think that you think that's what he was going for was was the Andy Garcia, and then he would have had to have acted with his real life niece. That would have been something. Remember, else. Winona Ryder was cast at the time, so hopefully he wasn't. I know, I know, that, but, <laughs> but but I'm just saying, like, what a weirdo coincidency. Ooh, that would have been weird. Um, again, apparently. This came up in a Hollywood Reporter's Actor Roundtable. It says last year. Maybe we missed it. I don't know. Um, With with a couple actors, and they were talking about sort of like family things and all that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I might have seen that. I don't think I saw that part, but there was. I saw him in an Actor's Roundtable. Maybe it was the year before I saw it. I don't know which one it was, but Jonathan... Davis was, I don't know, let me see real quick. Uh, Jonathan Majors, Andrew Garfield, Simon Rex, and Peter Dinklage were in this, this round. Yeah, 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 that's the one. I did see that with Jonathan Majors, right? Because I meant to tell, real quick, this is a quick one, I meant to tell this story on the newest episode of Cage Club, The Old Way, Cage's Western, and him and Jonathan Majors apparently, like, they started talking about how they had both just filmed the Western, and it turned out they had the same coach ride, like to teach them how to ride a horse, and they <laughs> apparently actually both learned on the same horse and used the same horse in wow. their pictures and the, and the horse was like a very stubborn like tough to ride horse so like they sort of 
commandeered the round table for like a good three and a half minutes and talked about that subject between each other, like across the table. <laughs> hashtag horse boys. That's amazing. So I, I yeah, hashtag up- Khartoum, right? Khartoum. <laughs> oh no. Let's hope it doesn't have that fate. Um, <laughs> so I pulled up the quote from uh, the round table regarding this. So he says, this is a very embarrassing question to answer. Okay, because it involves family. So Uncle Francis Ford Coppola was doing Godfather 3, and I said, I really think I ought to be in your movie, Uncle. I really think it's a good idea if you would cast me. I think I could play this part. <laughs> he was going to cast Andy Garcia, so it was that role. Oh. But I just see myself as more of James Cotton's son. He's playing Sonny's son. He's not playing Michael's son. He's Sonny's son. And I just feel a little bit more like James Caan. And it just wasn't going to hmm. happen. Nope, not going to happen. So that was a movie I didn't get let in, and I really wanted to be let in. Interesting. Let in. I like how he phrased that, too, as if he um, missed out or something, and it was like a family thing, and they just like the Godfather. They just like, sorry, Nicholas, and they closed the door on it. Yeah, like, they closed hey. the door on it. Or like uh, Carlo, like Carlo, like, no, he's let's not let him in the family here, you know? Let's yeah, yeah, him. yeah. But he could have played a tougher, someone in the back. He could have played somebody. You know, it would have been fun if he did the, like, um, the guy, um, the father Guido Esparducci actor character does, you know? He's a very short role, but he, like, presents, he's, like, in the family. I don't know. I figured they could have found a place for him. I like how he refers to him as uncle. I thought that was cool. Uncle, could you put me in your movie? Yeah. Like, I, went, I went to uncle and I said to him, dear uncle. Um, but if I was Cage, knowing what I know now, knowing that he's going to play Dracula himself, I'd have thought that story would have been like, you know, I want to be like, I want to be in Dracula. Like, put me in Dracula. I'll be anybody in that movie, especially Dracula. But he could have been a great Renfield. He would have been a good Jonathan Harker. He would have been a great Van Helsing. Like, I just want us to do a one-man show, sort of like Eddie Murphy, Clump style, where he plays like every <laughs> actor in Dracula. <laughs> I enjoyed the uncle aspect of that quote as well because it says uncle francis is wine cellar because he is cage's uncle and this is the cage club podcast network and the fact that like he calls him that just justifies every single thing we do so thank you nicholas cage (laughs) thank you all right our main event let's talk about it a legacy of filmmakers the early years of american zoetrope and a couple notes before we start i used this documentary for a lot of my research on the rain people as it goes into the oh. rain people mm-hmm. uh, a fair amount at the beginning because that's the birth of American Zoetrope, really. Um, you could find this one on YouTube, but it was released, I think most like cinephiles, Francis cinephiles, probably first saw it on the George Lucas film, but uh, the THX Blu-ray release, right? Or a DVD? Well, yeah, so, you know... George Lucas, not unlike Uncle Francis, who I think Francis started this all, but like, you know, George Lucas went back and he messed with, messed with, he changed Star Wars into the special editions. And I think around the time of finishing up the prequel trilogy, he went back to THX and he's like, you know, I'm going to tinker with this a little bit, add some visual effects, clean up the picture, uh, all that kind of jazz and re-release it as my ultimate director's vision. And that's exactly what he did. And 
thankfully I held on to a VHS copy because those I guess I've heard are hard to find. And it's like he does, like unlike Uncle Francis, where like all versions are still available, like George Lucas stops putting out the one and only puts out the next one, you know? So like this was in like a 2000 something director's cut. I have it on DVD. So it's DVD and I guess subsequent Blu-ray releases are this cut. And it's a special feature on the second disc is the uh, legacy of filmmakers early years of American zoetrope documentary, because this is one of the only, I guess you could say true zoetrope films that were able to be released at the time, right? Yeah, the flagship zoetrope film, really, like the main zoetrope film. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's why I feel like this is this documentary is very heavy THX, and why it might be included on on this disc and not like a uh, you know Coppola movie or something, because Lucas has just as much to kind of to to do with zoetrope as Francis does. It seems a hundred percent. So. We might be repeating some stuff from the Rain People episode. Check that out for a deeper dive on those aspects of it. But, you know, someone might be dipping in for the first time today, so I don't want to skip that entirely. I also don't want to take for granted that there are people listening here who have no idea what American Zoetrope is. So I pulled up the Wikipedia article, and I wanted to just bring up some stuff before kind of we talk about the doc. American Zoetrope is the production company, the studio that Francis is most associated with, even though, you know, not all his movies are produced by this studio. And we'll get into the documentary stuff in terms of, like, how it came to be. They do produce movies still today. After bouncing around a couple studios, I'm sure at some point Francis needed to finance something, so he sold the mark to some studio here or there. Uh, The Coppola family reacquired 100% of American Zoetrope, so it's currently owned now by Francis and Roman Coppola and Sofia Coppola, which is really cool. And their movies today are, you know, uh, they'll put that marker on the films, which is, you know, it's kind of a legacy thing for the family. I think it's super important. Though the majority of the Coppola libraries, if you notice, if you get anything today, they might have the tag at the beginning of the movie, but like I think Lionsgate right. owns most of the stuff. Not the Godfather yeah. stuff, obviously. And, you know, Coppola is someone who gets his films made by cutting deals. So you're going to always see other production companies, right? you know, at the beginning of his films, right? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I could swear, like, I just, I see it. It's like his production logo. You know, it can be just as simple as something like that. Like, uh, I love how he, the spirit of that is always going to be alive. And I think it's such a, such a cool name, too, because of, like, the reference of what a zoetrope is and how it's, like, related to uh, moving pictures and early filmmaking and all that kind Tell of thing. Tell us what it is. Well, it's like, um, basically, it's a carousel, uh, and on the inside is like uh frame by frame just a different drawing so when you spin it it looks like it's being animated and it looks you know like it's in motion so mm. a lot of them had people riding horses because someone riding a horse was the very first motion picture you know it was a bet to see if a horse could get all four of its legs off the ground while running and so a lot of the early zoetropes were people riding horses and you'd you'd spin it and you'd look at it and it had these little slits in it and there was a light inside that would illuminate it and as it spun it just created the illusion of motion of animation Uh, and that's where early animation i think uh for a lot of 
from what I could understand, started to come from. And yeah, and someone, the story goes when Coppola was visiting overseas, I think he said Germany, possibly looking at new it was Denmark. Um, Denmark, he was looking at new technologies and someone handed him a zoetrope and he had uh, always sort of cherished that. And when he came back to the States, he thought that would be a great symbol for his production company. And I don't think it's he was wrong hand. at all. It's a yeah, great it's hand. great. I was looking for a zoetrope shirt and I couldn't find any, so might have to make my own. <laughs> I remember um, over a decade ago when I first started dating my wife, we took a trip out to San Francisco and just walking down the street there, exploring the city. And I saw um, where it's currently headquartered in the Sentinel building, or at least it was at the time. Beautiful, beautiful, like copper exterior building, like that green sort of, I think it's copper, I believe. Statue of Liberty, kind of. Yeah, you know, it had that, like, sheen to it. And at the bottom, there was Zoetrope Cafe. And I was like, we, we have to go in here. We have to, you know, grab some tea and a croissant or whatever whatever we can here. And, you know, I vaguely remember being in there and seeing, you know, pictures in the wall and being super excited. Now I would probably lose my shit and document it on social media. But uh, back then, again... Because you saw that mark in, in a lot of classic films. We'll go into the history of yes. it. Uh, you know, we talked about it in The Rain People, which is a zoetrope film, but not really. It kind of gets conceived during The Rain People, but THS. Oh, I keep saying S like my. You know why? Because THX, uh, he got to you subconsciously, because THX or Thex is code for sex. It's like that's his name, Sex is in the movie in the far future there's thx and then his partner is luv i think love and then the his um the antagonist is a guy named sin i believe s-i-n so it's sex love and sin in the future i have not seen it in a while but yeah yeah i didn't pick up on that without listening to like a very in-depth comb through review of the movie by someone else (laughs) uh so it's thx one one three eight the godfather yeah. technically has you see it when you watch the godfather at the beginning again we know paramount's the real backer there but it's francis's mark right uh american graffiti the conversation <laughs> and then it would go yeah. on to do a lot of uh francis stuff here there like i said it was bounced around a couple other production studios and it distributed some things too uh one from the heart we'll, we'll get it with wow awesome and now it's really associated with the Coppola family. Real quick, if I may, uh, I'm just fascinated now by the zoetrope itself. If I could just read a bit from the Wikipedia. To tell you something. First of all, <laughs> they say, like, technically an earthware bowl from Iran over 5,000 years ago could be considered a predecessor to the zoetrope. Decorated with images portraying a goat jumping toward a tree. Very cool. The etymology of the name zoetrope comprised from the Greek root words life and turning as a translation of wheel of life so that's pretty cool thought that was nice and that was it basically uh, and just i like the definition they give a zoetrope is one of several pre-film animation devices that produce the illusion of motion by displaying a sequence of drawings or photographs showing progressive phases of that motion it was basically a cylindrical variation oh my god forget this cut this out how do you pronounce this uh the phoneticus it's a scope, possibly. Oh, that's pretty <laughs> cool. I can't pronounce it, but it looks awesome. 
suggested almost immediately after the stroboscopic discs were introduced in 1833. Wow. The definitive version with easily replaceable picture strips was introduced as a toy by Milton Bradley in 1866 and became very successful. I want one, folks. So if you're out there and uh, you make zoetropes nowadays, like shoot us a DM. Slide into our DMs, if you will. Uh, Network co-founder Joey Lewandowski. Recently, we were just talking podcast theory and such. And he was like, oh, I hate podcasts where it sounds like you're reading a Wikipedia article. Well, Joey, we just did that. And I and I was fascinated, okay? That is interesting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Now I'm trying to find zoetropes for sale online, so let's hurry up and finish the show. No, I'm just <laughs> you can, hey, you can hey. get one for like. That could be a gift later. That could be a Mike's merch table. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll table this one I found on Amazon. Nice, for another nice. Day. But this little documentary that <laughs> ignited our rabbit holes today. It talks about the early history, not really like that later zoetrope where it just really is associated with the Coppola family. At the beginning, mm-hmm. the vision was big for Zoetrope. But the documentary itself is decorated by a man named Gary Leva, L-E-V-A. The star-studded nature of it was what impressed me so much. Richard oh, yeah. Richard Dreyfus is the narrator? Yeah, Richard Dreyfus, of course. Well, he was in, you know, American Graffiti. He was in Jaws. He was, I don't think he was in any Coppola movies, but, like, he is a friend of, you know, yeah. friend of the family for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you know, Spielberg's in the dock, so uh, Jaws and Close Encounter there. You already mentioned Graffiti. Marty, Marty Scorsese, my my impression at the top of the show. (laughs) So uh, let me just go through, like, the main people they interview. Robert Dalva. Yeah. Francis, of course. Steven Spielberg. George Lucas, big part of it, as we mentioned. Scorsese, as you mentioned. But, like, people, if you are more of a cinephile into the sort of mm-hmm. TCM thing that you'll maybe recognize or names you'll recognize like Carol Ballard. Dude, my favorite, my favorite. And there's a great documentary about this guy. John Milius is on this. John Milius. <laughs> who's amazing. What's that documentary called? If you don't remember it, that's fine, but that's a great I, documentary. I think it, I think it's just called Milius. Yeah, Milius. I think it was on yeah, HBO yeah. or something. I, I, I caught it a couple of years ago. John Callie. Who like is really great and John Milius is amazing. Uh, Walter yeah, yeah. Murch. Oh, oh, big one. Uh, Caleb Deschanel. I was surprised because if I'm not mistaken, um, he went on to do a lot of stuff. Like he is, he is the father of Emily and Zoe Deschanel, but he is also associated with Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, he was involved with the right stuff and the natural, oh, like yeah. tons Ama- of great stuff. Good director, like, amazing cinematographer in his own right. Like he, he killer is. parent, you know, great parent as well. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Duvall. Bobby Duvall shows up. Yeah, you know Walter Murch. I don't know if we mentioned him, uh, but like, yeah, you know, you could tell too that a bunch of people who wanted to be there to talk about this time in their lives together. It was really cool. By the way, Walter Murch's voice is amazing. Like, I know, right? <laughs> and the pictures of him in his youth were even more amazing. Like, he almost looked like Indiana Jones. I thought at times <laughs> because he just had like that leather jacket, like the crazy beard, the long hair. I was like, that's what a that's what I imagined Indiana Jones <laughs> really looked like. And I know, he, I know, he's an accomplished filmmaker in his own right. Like, he's even. Uh, I, I was looking. He directed The Return to Oz, which is amazing. And, he, and he's written some stuff, but 
I know he's mostly known for his innovation in sound, if I'm not mistaken. Right, yeah. And editing, and editing, sorry. Right, yeah, no, but, yeah, stuff in um, The Godfather Part Two. he worked on, you know, American Graffiti. The, the, American, the, the sound design in American Graffiti, I think, is so incredible because, like, all of the music is coming out of the cars, you know? Like, that's where... It, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you hear yeah. a song coming down the street, it's in a, it's coming from a car. Like that's such a great concept for the sound design there and uh, the conversation. I can't wait to get to that because that is, you know, mostly a sound film. And of course, THX, like a lot of the, I mean, I know he didn't do all of Star Wars, but like the, he laid a lot of groundwork for the audio like cacophony in thx that would become a part of star wars the soundscape of star wars really comes from thx which is awesome i i know like in the more you know 90s modern stuff he did a lot of phillips Miller hoffman films in terms of oh, uh, cool. editing editing and sound editing and stuff uh cold mountain talented mr ripley and i remember seeing his name there and be like is that the Has same the yeah, <laughs> it's that the same guy from The Godfather, and I was like, oh shit. So I remember like doing a deep dive on his career. He's a great storyteller. They're all great storytellers, and why wouldn't they be? They're some of the greatest filmmakers of all time in this documentary, right? And right. I think that's what makes this documentary. It's pretty, um, you know, it's not like innovative in terms of like as a documentary, but it's informative and it has such yeah awesome people. And uh, that's what I really loved about it. Just the stories of the birth of what is sort of like this filmmaking commune, the first of its yes. kind in the United States. And it, it's really awesome. Yeah, that's a great way to put it because they were, even though they didn't look like it and really kind of act like you would think, like it was the hippie mentality of the DIY stuff that would later become a big part of the punk mentality, which is like, we don't need no major studios as long as we can get our hands on the equipment. Like we have, you know, I think George even said, he's like, well, we have a camera. Francis has all this editing equipment. Like, what do we need the studio for? Like we can write movies. We could produce things. We could raise money. We could do all this ourselves. So like, let's buy a warehouse. Let's all move in there. Let's like create the ultimate kind of uh Mecca for, new uh, budding filmmakers and it's so great to see george lucas talk so candidly about this time a because it's he's not talking about star wars which is very refreshing um and and b because you could you could see you could see in him like remembering the good times and really being enthusiastic about um talking about this and like getting it out of his system it feels like he's having sort of like a cathartic time during this interview, you know, and like remembering stuff and talking about things he, he wants to, but doesn't always have the opportunity to. I love Star Wars. I, I love Star Wars. And I'm not choosing this timeline, but from the George Lucas perspective, you could see a timeline where he does not go into the genre pictures. He, he heeds the warning of Francis and, and others, right? And that he just is like a filmmaker like the rest of these guys. I feel like Lucas sometimes yeah. doesn't get the respect that some of the other names here. Or even like someone even on the level of De Palma, right? Right. Lucas gets shit on and he doesn't deserve to be at all. But it's for exactly what you're saying, Mike. Here we see this like free-spirited Lucas. People, I think, remember Lucas, yes, for Star Wars, but also like 
Star Wars special features where he was like, oh, I thought I would put Jabba here even though he wasn't originally here. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, a, mm-hmm. we, we have a Jawa in the background. Like, you know, like, and, and when you go from that, like, him recoloring CGI Star Wars, at least when we were kind of, you know, getting into the new editions of stuff, to when he was just like, yeah, I want to do this, I want to do that. And how the failure of THX might have motivated that. Like, I was like, oh, man. Like, again, I love Star Wars. I'm glad he made it. Mm -hmm. But part of me is like, what would have Lucas been like if he didn't choose that path and he chose the path of, let me just keep making badass movies, you know? Not that Star Wars not badass. You know what I mean. No, I know what you mean. I think... it. Man, it's it's such a tough what if. But, like, you know, he basically accomplished in his third film what everyone set out to do with their entire careers okay so like you know it was kind of not a not a fluke but like he tapped into the zeitgeist in a way that like no one realized was gonna be effective right like no one like he basically kick-started like that whole what I consider now like nostalgia kick, like he came from that with American graffiti and star Wars was like everything he loved as a kid. He was trying to get back to his youth. And like, that's what entertainment seems to be all about now is like everyone making it is going back to their youth and making their version of their childhood in a lot of ways. And there's nothing wrong with that or anything. Okay. But like my whole point is like, even with Spielberg who became a star after Jaws, an even bigger star after Close Encounters. And then it was like hit after, I mean, 1942. Sorry, we won't mention that, but it's like basically <laughs> hit after hit. Boom, boom, boom. Still, he needed to like work for, and I'm not kidding, like a decade to, you know, surpass George, who only had to make like Star Wars movies for a decade, you know? And it's like, look at like he did E.T. And, but like, I really feel like it wasn't until Jurassic Park where it was like, all right, Spielberg's bigger than Lucas. And then Lucas is like, I'm sorry, I have to re-release my movies and make three more Star Wars movies. And now Star Wars is just like, sorry, you can't catch it. But like, I don't know, man. I I often wonder, I don't think, I think he would have just like kind of lapsed a bit into obscurity, to be quite honest, because he would have made very esoteric, hard to understand art films or at least sort of these new wave kind of weirdo movies like this like i i think there you know star wars has way more thx in it than american graffiti than people want to admit and i think it would have been a lot more along those lines unless you know if he was completely left to his own devices the thing that's the hardest thing to swallow is that um you know he always said like star wars you know it afforded him the luxury to do what he wanted in his life and he never got back to making weird strange films that no one needed to see or make any money you know because he didn't need the money like that that's that's the sad thing is that like he didn't go on like star wars took up too much of his time whatever whatever and and, like he didn't he never made you know the next american graffiti or the next thx or whatever that would have been a quote that people say too often honestly it's been bastardized but it's from a film you covered extensively on Keanu Club, The Matrix, right? The red pill or the blue pill. And it's like the the artist's choice, if you're lucky enough to make that choice, right? Like, or, or the Neil Young question, would you rather burn out or fade away? Like, they're related. And it's, would you rather have the Lucas sort of success where you make arguably the most famous movie 
of all time and keep making it and make all the money you want. And now he's worth so much money because he sold that off and he goes to all the Formula One races. And like, I mean, he seems pretty happy, but I wonder if one-on-one, if you had a glass of wine with him, would he feel like, you know, does the artist sense in him? Has he, has he achieved that aspect of it? Or would you take yes. like, let me just make the art and not be famous, the bohemian way, right? Yeah. It's funny because there are a lot of people you might see in this documentary, and there were a lot of people probably in that zootrope warehouse who were like, yeah, man, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to make a mainstream film with anybody that way. I'm just going to make my art stuff. And maybe we know their names. Maybe we don't. Like, are they more Are they more satisfied? They might be. I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> And then you have, like, you know, guys like Francis who kind of rode that line both ways. And, and that's why I love exploring the career of Francis, because... It feels, I don't want to say this is his last film because I hope he makes films, you know, beyond our own lives. I hope he lives infinity and well, makes films yeah, forever. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but if Megalopolis is his last film, I love how he's ending in a crescendo that feels both huge and an art piece, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll at least get the Megalopolis recut um, before he fades. You know, I'm sure that that'll be in the pocket uh, to be released post human. Uh, after his death but you know you, you you said something that kind of struck a chord with me there talking about lucas real quick and the, and sort of the spirit of zoetrope is that bohemian kind of vibe you know they did travel around to make the rain to make people. the rain the rain people like and, and it was sort of like they they described it in that way as like a traveling show and like uh like a moving family or like something like a family on a road trip on the road and and you know also kind of relating that to Star Wars in a way is George Lucas, you know, that at the time, the way the world was and the way, from what I understand, I wasn't born yet, I was born in 79, but from what I understand, hearing about it, like, you know, no one was really focused on the values of Star Wars. Like those could have seemed like coming from, a bohemian corner of the culture, you know, not quite the counterculture perhaps, but like a bygone era of values that were getting lost perhaps, you know, like nobility and virtue and, and things of honor that like Jedi's and Luke would ultimately kind of like represent, you know, and even, you know, the fun days of being a scoundrel and stuff were sort of, I feel George Lucas's like Han Solo is probably like as close as he can get to like easy rider. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> something like that in the star Wars world. So like, I feel like it was such a, kind of it took everyone off guard the studio didn't want star wars and they're like who is this weirdo what's he talking about like knights in space i don't know i so like now it seems like so obvious right but i think we got to remember at the time before there was a star wars it was like no one understood what this was you know nobody nobody was really in 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 the know a hundred percent i don't think that to be clear, I don't think he. It was as clear cut of oh, let me choose to betray my friends and do a big blockbuster film. No, you're right. He's making Star Wars with that bohemian mindset. Uh, a lot of movies suffer from their own success. I'm again, Star Wars didn't suffer, but uh, you know the the meaning of Greece, which I've talked about on High School Slumber Party, is completely lost about because of how successful. Mm that film film was yeah 
Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I'm wearing this shirt, this Ninja Turtle shirt, and I just listened to a great interview with Peter Laird. And, uh, you know, he was like, the success of the Turtles eventually became kind of too overwhelming to the point where, like, I couldn't even have time to draw. And if I could draw, like, the last thing I kind of wanted to do was draw another turtle at that point, you know? So success can be tough. Like, it's nice to know that at least George Lucas... Well, that now he sold it off, but that like he had he was so involved in such sort of a um, fun fun way. It seemed like he wanted to be involved for a very long time. No, no, for sure. And again, I think more like the that deal with the devil doesn't necessarily come from the original creation of Star Wars. I think it's the what that. And again, I'm not faulting him for this because I would like to go to every F1 race if I could, but. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the, what Star Wars became in terms of the marketing giant, where things were f- allegedly put in the movie because of toys and stuff like yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah, Which again, yeah. I'll say it for the millionth time, so no one thinks that I'm bashing him for this, but I'm not faulting him for that at all. But I think when you look at the bohemian side of it, they would be like, what are you doing, man? When it's like, merchandise, merchandise, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a funny story in the documentary about, like, this communist guy who's sort of part of the zootrope scene. <laughs> yeah. And he's, like, tearing into Francis for driving a fancy car. And Francis is, like, trying to take it because he generally he's, like, someone with left sympathies. But eventually he's just essentially like, what the hell are you talking about, man? This is my car, you know? And I only bring it up right. because... This is San Francisco. In that era, you're going to get a lot of hippies. You're going to get a lot of socialists and communists. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But when you think about the capitalists that a lot of these filmmakers eventually became, whether they wanted to or not, it's just interesting that there was probably a lot of paths you could have taken back then. And what maybe the most talented people eventually ended up taking... I don't know. That's what I found fascinating about this documentary. Like a bunch of young people who are friends, much like the Cage Club Podcast Network. No kidding. But a bunch of young people who are friends. We're not. We're not quite that young, (laughs) or at least I'm not anymore. We're not young. Let's be honest. We're not that successful, and we're certainly not rich. So we're nothing like (laughs) this. (laughs) My my only gripe with Lucas's empire and toy you know, kind of marketing thing is that they've still yet to make a friend of the show, Galen Howard, into an official Star Wars toy, even though he deserves it for being in Boba Fett. That's I all I'm going to say. I didn't even think about that. If he's a toy, oh my God. So because because you mentioned how like they start making toys and needing to put them into the movies. What actually ends up happening with Star Wars is they make toys of every fucking person that shows up for two seconds, you know? So like if you walked across the screen in you know, an episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're probably going to get a toy eventually. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to look this up. Like our friend Galen and did he have a name? It was just clerk. He was great. I think he, I think he was just clerk, uh, tattooing clerk at maybe most Isley or most Espa or something. <laughs> He's the ultimate, like he was like the ultimate Monday morning guy where it's like, I'd like to talk to your supervisor. And he's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about Galen another time uh, because I, I definitely want to get him on the show. Foreshadow. Foreshadow. 
So what struck you about this doc? What were some things that really stuck out to you? Mm, yeah, yeah. So definitely loved. Uh, it never occurred to me before, really, how much Francis was the money man, like the bank, the daddy Warbucks here is like either his family fortune or the money that he made working at the big studios, you know, however he finagled those deals, like he was just turning around and dumping it into Zoetrope. Like he mentions going overseas and, and going to like these fancy expos and buying all the new state of an art, state of the art equipment. And people would like walk into Zoetrope and be like, good God, like what have you done? Like how much money have you spent? He's like, oh, I spent all my money. I spent all my money. I just loved his sort of go for broke attitude and even how Lucas so this is my favorite, like him and Lucas, like couldn't, and he says it himself, they could not be more different, but it makes them like great friends where George is just like, Francis, what are you doing? Like, we can't afford this. Like, you shouldn't do that. Like, look before you leap. And, and Francis is just like, nah, fuck that. Like, just go for it. Do it, George. Like, seize the day. What are you waiting for? You're such a baby. And George is like, I'd always be like such a baby about stuff. And Francis would be like, stop being such a baby, George. Do it. Do it. That's the kind of stuff I was mentioning earlier, where it just like feels like George Lucas kind of like finally coming out of his shell or something, or just, you know, seeing him talk about anything but Star Wars just really brings him to life. And like, that was a really cool moment. He does that a couple of times. He says that. 100%. Uh, we previously said on the Rain People episode, they met because uh, Francis went to UCLA, George went to USC. So they weren't in those circles. Francis is a little older than Lucas. But at that point, it's like way, it feels way older because Francis is making movies when, when Lucas is still in school. Uh, Lucas, uh, you know, famously becomes this huge prodigy at USC, wins this scholarship uh, to go on the Warner Brothers lot, originally wants to go to the animation studio, he finds out it's closed, finds out the only movie <laughs> shooting <laughs> on the studio was Finian's Rainbow, which Coppola was filming. Crazy, crazy. They become fast friends on there because uh, they're like the youngest people basically on the whole studio yes, property. Yes, I love that. Everyone there is basically like, hey, most of the people who were shooting movies at the time, most of the cameramen were in their 50s. 40 was young back then. And these are yeah, two guys yeah. in their 20s. So uh, you can hear more about this aspect of the doc on our Rain People episode. But basically Coppola says to uh, Lucas, give me one good idea a day on this movie. And Lucas isn't, doesn't even hesitate. He helps him out and Coppola is really impressed. So when Coppola gets the money to do the Rain People, which he's trying to do more of like an independent style film, he, he brings Lucas on sort of as an assistant, but also to film the documentary, which, oh, by the way, yes, not just the Rain People, but Filmmaker, the documentary we covered. So check out those right, two episodes. Right. You might get more information from that Filmmaker episode. But uh, Lucas shoots the behind the scenes of the Rain People, but he's also basically secretly on the payroll there so he can write the THX feature length script because he had, he had already made the student film version of it. And again, they become fast friends. And in the editing process of the Rain People... They conceive this idea for American Zoetrope. And one of the biggest ideas I think that sets it apart is all the movies are being shot in L.A. That is clearly, you know, Hollywood in the most Hollywood way possible. Lucas is from Modesto, which is Northern California. He suggests to Francis, 
let's do it in San Francisco. And I think that's so funny because now I associate Francis so much with San Francisco with the wine or <laughs> right. just like Northern California in general. And it's really because Lucas is from there and he introduces them to that area. And I think that part's so cool. It's like, it's still in California, but like, let's get away <laughs> from LA. Let's be re- like literally removed from the studio system and take it from there. Let's invite our friends from film school, people we know who are just smart, intelligent, young people, and let's do this on our own. Love it. Love it. I uh, I recently was over in California at the beginning of last year, almost a year ago, and uh, drove from San Francisco up towards where the Coppola winery is and past Modesto. And let me just tell you, there is still nothing out there. <laughs> there is nothing out there, man. So uh, crazy. But that's awesome. Yeah, I, I loved seeing and hearing stories about them moving into San Francisco and starting that warehouse spot and, um, you know, the spirit of that and how they would just like live there, you know, and, and whoever wanted to could just stop by and work on films. And, you know, like you mentioned, like commune type uh, behavior and stuff. And uh, yeah, just such a great energy. Um, I love the spirit of this documentary, and it, it's pretty long too. It's over an hour, so yeah, just you know, just very, over an hour. Very yeah. filled. Yeah, I think it's Francis who says it, but it might be Lucas. Where like the goal was Bohemian Life beat poet. Oh, it's Francis. He goes, "I want a Bohemian Life beat poets, pretty girls," and it's just like whoa. <laughs> I, and I, I just want to credit too because they credited Easy Rider is what yeah. really starts everything with with that because they they could have done all they wanted to there but if they didn't get the backing they would have accomplished nothing we know that but easy rider is such a huge hit it's not their film but it's like hey let's trust young people let's step away from the studio system and mike i do want to acknowledge something you mentioned francis makes it pretty clear that he's not like a poor dude here um i don't we don't know what his fortune is but basically he takes when he gets the idea to make zoetrope he takes a trip to europe um, he, he travels around, and you mentioned he, he does this little excursion to Denmark, and he's invited to sort of this bohemian studio there that's in a house, uh, and, and that's what he wants to create. It's like a true Danish commune movie studio there, uh, and, he, and he buys all this equipment, and he's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to use it for our studio. But one thing he mentions in that part of the interview, he's like, he spent more than he had and he didn't care, but he's like, I don't care. I would sell my house. I would sell my vacation house. I would sell my car. And I was like paused in my mind if like, hey, I know, <laughs> I know you've done a couple movies. If you already have a house, a vacation house, cars, whatever, you're clearly yeah. not bohemian and poor, you know? <laughs> right. I know. I was thinking that too. Like what's what was his job before becoming a filmmaker? <laughs> that he could afford all this but no maybe that's just like what you could live on maybe that's what a filmmaker's salary was just like so obnoxious back in the day that like you were rich overnight you know and that he did have like a hundred like a hundred thousand dollars in like 1970 to you know go crazy with who knows you know how much how much really could a house cost back then i mean that is a really good point i'm thinking today's housing prices but you're right so it, it's not as high and he didn't grow up super poor we know that because his dad was gainfully employed i'm not saying musicians and composer yeah yeah, musicians didn't make 
amazing money, obviously, but it's not like his father was smelting iron somewhere either. But yeah, uh, the no. one thing and one thing that's impressive about him, regardless of his financial status, he was willing to put everything on the line and more, and did. <laughs> You know? Yes, that's the thing, man. Is like that's what I give him the most credit for. Is like he's a professional gambler. You know, like that's that's the best way I could put it. It's like he went all in. You know, and bet on himself, bet on his friends, bet on this idea. You know, this dream that he had, and like that is just you know even even now at this age, like it's super inspiring. You know, because look at him, he's still living the fucking dream. You know, and he went on to live the dream. He's like, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to create my own wine. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to sell all that shit and go back to making movies. <laughs> you know what else I'm going to do in my spare time? I'm going to look over my entire body of work and recut everything <laughs> while I'm at it. I really, truly admire him so much because he is one of these people, and Lucas says it, and everyone in the documentary pretty much says it, who gets the idea to do something and does everything in his power to make it happen. Yeah. There are people who are the opposite of that. I think most people, you know, are somewhere in the middle there, but he says, I'm going to make this movie or I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my own winery. And by hook or crook, he figures it out. I have this poster yeah. here in my apartment and I just got it because it was fun for the background. And I didn't even read the quote when I got it. And it says, there's nothing creative about living within your means. And that is mm. that is so not like a left-wing communist quote, right? Like, it's not <laughs> a bohemian quote at all. But when I watched this documentary, it finally clicked to me, right? Like, nothing he does is within his means. And it's not like in an assholian way. It's like, literally, right. I'm going to make Megalopolis. I'm going to spend every dime I've ever made doing it. Because that's my vision, and that's my true creative process. It's not controlled by some studio dude. It's like what I want to do. It's my goal. And again, yeah. it's just amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. And his whole goal with Zoetrope was like, I'm going to spend this money for my friends. Like, I'm going to go to the studio, and I'm going to get this. In Remember, he got, like, this amazing deal where they're going to make, like, five or six movies, you know, under the Zoetrope name. And they're going to be, like, released by Warner Brothers and shit. And he was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not just doing this to make my movie. I'm doing it to make George's movie and Walter's movie and his movie and that guy. You know, everybody's got a stake in this game like i'm it's so selfless right it's just like i'm taking my fortune and like doing so much good with like it's like charity you know like that's so great it's like if i ever won the lottery i feel like that's what i would do for the network right like i would start paying all of us somehow at least for a year i would like provide if i won you know the big b the billion like if i if i came home with the b everyone's getting like something on the net you know like i would have to do the uncle francis thing like i would have to give back and pour it into my craft and just by virtue of that look what happened he went on you know to help create star wars in, in a way right like if it wasn't for francis and zoetrope and george and striking up that friendship and and him like just you know flushing all that with his family fortune yeah that's awesome no, yeah, and we again we don't know what the fortune is. It just is... yeah, yeah. No, I I, I just say it uh, for lack of a better term, but like whatever kind of money he had, whether it be the money he made and acquired or whatever. 
he's just a, a survivor in a sense, right? Like if his fortune was a dollar or if his fortune was a hundred billion dollars, yeah. he's spending it all and making the most of it. That's the thing. Like the kind of guy I give you the shirt off his back to finish making the movie. It's like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, we don't have a wardrobe. We need a shirt. Take my shirt. But you're the director. So, so what? Like, a couple other things I want to mention about the doc. Again, it's free on YouTube, at least for now, so I implore you guys to definitely watch it. Um, the hedonistic sort of element of the parties they had there. Okay, yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll there. Now, the documentary is pretty clear that like Lucas and Coppola weren't really so much into the drugs. Obviously, Coppola likes to drink his wine, but it was a lot of the other people and a lot of people who would show up because Coppola was like a big tent sort of dude. He wouldn't just invite like the Hollywood investors to the party. He'd invite the carpenters who help, you know, build the the warehouse out Uh, because they originally wanted this like big mansion. They couldn't afford it. So they get a warehouse in like a sort of a dodgy neighborhood um, and they really make it the place to be though. Like Kurosawa, they say shows up one day. Uh, Yeah, that's crazy. Jerry Garcia, Shows up for the big party, like not, not as crazy, like you know, they're in San Francisco, <laughs> but still cool, still very, very cool. And, and I like how the other uh, filmmakers there, like some of them, will admit, like, yeah, I was going a little bit nuts, you know. Yeah, I love when George was like, uh, I wasn't really around for any of that. I, I, I went and like held up in a house somewhere and, <laughs> and was putting my movie, which checks out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he seems like for someone who created Star Wars, he seems like kind of square, right? Like he seems in that sense like And Francis like he likes the party, but he's not like insane either. No, he, yeah. He ultimately he's a family man. Like during this whole process, this is what makes the stakes even crazier. He's got a wife and a kid at this point. He's not just like yeah. some 20-year-old with like, you know, no, nothing to, like no stakes in the game he's got all the stakes in the game he still lays it on the line yeah so what my favorite part of the doc is when the warner brothers who he has sort of a deal with changes hands and they had already rejected all his future projects the biggest one being george lucas's thx and when there's new ownership in coppola sort of meets with him and said and and tricks him in a sense and it's like, right. hey, no, we have this movie. It's We're ready in pre-production. They approved it. And we also have six other scripts that, you know, they kind of greenlit. I'll bring them to you soon. And the new people were like, okay, you know, uh, just, yep. just show us yeah. the scripts and we'll figure it out. And that's kind of the genesis of this entire thing. Yeah, I love that. I love <laughs> what a, what a smart move because like technically the movie was green lit, you know, just by the previous regime, you know. But you know, um, you come in and you tell these people like, oh yeah, we're in the middle of making this movie. What do you want to do? Just stop making a movie? You have nothing in production but right now because right? because the previous administration like they green lit it and then they canceled it. So no, I know, but the new people didn't know that exactly. Either. So it's amazing. Yeah, 
and and back it's very back, sly back then it's not like the internet you can't google it and it says like oh couple of you know what i mean like oh this production right stopped. right yeah no. and no one's gonna like research call go call like the previous studio heads one by one and like get into this shit like they didn't want to talk about that no they're more like no, oh very very cool we have a young filmmaker with a good reputation he's done some studio stuff and he's telling us this is what he's starting and we have an exclusive relationship with him this is pretty awesome, you know. Um, so I wrote, yeah. I wrote down what those projects were going to be. Uh, some nice. of them, some of them got made. Some of them obviously didn't. So the yep. big thing was get our first film out there, which is George Lucas's THX one one three eight. Which is whoops. <laughs> well, we'll get there. <laughs> like I love the, I like the movie, but you know, very tough, very inaccessible movie to the general public. Number two was a film, a comedy that was never made called The Naked Gypsies. Okay. <laughs> number three was the conversation which eventually does get made as we know cool number four was supposed to be a drama called have we seen the elephant and to be clear these were all coppola produced but they weren't all coppola directed and written he right. had at this point he'd gotten like friends and stuff and they were all like uh putting scripts together number five was a film called vesuvia huh. <laughs> number okay. six was a, do- a, docu- a documentary called Santa Rita. I forgot what that was about, but it was like some sort of uh, counterculture thing. And number seven, of course, is a Lucas project at the time, and John Milius <laughs> yeah. is writing it, and, and that becomes Apocalypse Now. So Crazy. As we know, all seven of these don't get made, but the ones that do in THX, which again is wasn't a hit but very influential the conversation which is an amazing movie we'll talk about that here and the coup de gras here apocalypse now end up being amazing amazing projects so and you know it and it all started with this awesome do you remember mike in the dock where he's so passionate and so confident about this that he presents all the scripts in like a big treasure chest to, to these uh to these executives along with the first cut of THX. Yeah, it was like it was a very impressive box. It looked wonderful with the scripts and I think he still has the box, right? It's like a cigar box. <laughs> I would love to see that box uh, someday, like a picture of that box. It does you know, if I ever meet Francis, I could be like, You got a picture of the box on your phone? And be like, What box would that be, my my friend? And be like, you know, the the zoetrope box with the scripts <laughs> that you swindled and, and and you fucking conned the studio into letting you uh, into letting you make all those movies you'd be like oh yes the box i'd love that <laughs> and then uh so when he shows this first edition of THX, they don't like it they end up not liking nope. any version of it uh-huh they take five minutes out of the movie. They were going to cut some other stuff. You know, it's a whole ordeal. And the whole thing about studios taking control of movies was exactly the opposite of what Zootrope was founded for. So uh, that part is so interesting to me. And it right? really it really completes a loop for me in our research, Mike. Because remember in the offer and, and also in our notes of The Godfather, Francis feels compelled to do... The Godfather, like he didn't really want to do it, right. but, but he sort of needs the money. He needed the money, yeah. And it's really because of this, because these seven projects get canceled in various forms, and they ask for all the funding back. But Francis, being who he is, 
has already, you know, built this whole studio, has bought all this equipment. Spent the money. <laughs> spent the money. He really can't give it back. So I remember a, a couple episodes we had this debate about, like, not a debate, but it was like a discussion. Like, why does Francis feel compelled to the Godfather? It seems like the Rain people's decently right? received, right? But it's mm-hmm. this. It's like he was in way yeah. over his head with this studio, and he's like, damn it, I got to do something. And The Godfather is what saves the idea of Zoetrope, let's be honest. See, I I wish there was like a deleted scene in like episode two of The Offer where Francis is in the editing editing room and, you know, like Al Ruddy just leaves and Al Ruddy's like, look, I'm going to go do something incredibly boring for a couple hours. (laughs) Let me know if you want to direct The Godfather. And he leaves and then there's a conversation between Francis and George Lucas and George going, Francis, you know, you really should do The Godfather. We really need the money. Zoetrope is folding. All those scripts in that beautiful box. And then, you know, Francis could be like, yeah, you know, like I really don't want to do it, but this is my Dan Fogel version of Francis. Yeah, you know, I really don't want to do it, but I probably should do it, you know, uh, who never the one thing I said I never do was make the Godfather. Anyway, so like I just wish I, I pictured that deleted scene in the offer between Francis and George, going like this could save Zoetrope. You know, you could do like that. You know, and Marsha being like, "I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's exactly that. So like, I loved watching this documentary front to back like this. Because it just completed, like, oh, okay, this gets us to the Godfather, right? This is like the bridge from Zoetrope, the Rain People, to making arguably the greatest movie of all time. And, and he was not forced, but kind of in a sense. Like, he had to do it at this point, even to just bail out his friends and let them make the things they wanted to make. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the phrase like? They pushed his hand or something like that. Like he had, you know, what else was he gonna do? He need he loves making movies, and he needed to make a movie. They made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Anything else in the documentary that stood out to you? Was it the um, was it the espresso machine? Was it the pool table? That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> that uh, Francis had like the first espresso machine. No, I just again like I, I liked it a lot. Like it's weird because it feels very much like a special features, and it also is like this feels like a very important documentary, but it doesn't feel like it has like the money behind it, you know, it's because it just feels like a special feature. And I feel like it should be a feature length doc about Zoetrope or something like that. So um really glad that it exists in some form. I think when Francis passes, hopefully that's not anytime soon, and someone finally like writes the book or HBO or one of these people, I mean, Paramount makes the five or six part documentary on his life. I'm not talking about like a little breezy thing. I'm mm-hmm. talking about like this is the definitive collection. In a thousand years if humans are still alive or some alien civilization is here, when they look at our great artists, they'll be like, oh, Francis Ford Coppola and like his story. This documentary needs to be expanded on a little bit, but it just feels like a chapter in the story that hopefully mm-hmm. not to pat ourselves on the back, but Hopefully we're helping share this story. And I know we're not the only ones and I don't want to be the only ones. Um, It's just like, this is such a fascinating 
artist and person and such a supportive friend because again mike you made a really good point like he got some opportunities in his life by hard work but also like connections he made and he spread that wealth and he helped start the careers like corman before him right like he yeah he, he helped so many people out there you go yeah paying it forward paying it forward exactly and i think he still does that to this day with his literal family, but also his filmmaking family. And again, I can't wait for Megalopolis, and I can't wait for more people to explore his personal story, because not to Kanye West this, because like Kanye <laughs> famously was like, I am Warhol. What else did he say? Like, I am Da Vinci, stuff like that. But Hitler's not too bad. Okay, not that part, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, he did say that. We should acknowledge that he's a terrible, terrible <laughs> no, person. But uh, that aside, um, I do mean it. Like, Coppola is one of the great artists of our time. Yes. And the fact that we are living in his time, I'm thankful every day for it. Yeah, man. I mean, I think I, I said that, like, I related it to how it was, what it felt to be alive when Kubrick was still alive, right? And making movies. Like, this is how I feel about, I feel the same way now. It's just very privileged to uh, be alive at this time. What a time to be alive. <laughs> well, Mike, I'm glad we could explore this documentary. I think we have something really, really fun and important. And literally, I'm going to have to do a lot of research. I'm sure you know, you'll know you be gung-ho for the next film we'll cover. I'm not going to release it, but it does have something mm-hmm. to do with the date around the release date a little bit. Oh, but this okay. is... Arguably, Francis Ford Coppola's most controversial project. You could say that about a lot of films, but this one is its going to be a good one. So tune in yeah. for that. So thank you so much for supporting the show, as always. Mike, why don't you tell the nephews and nieces out there about all your other shows on this network? You have a lot. Oh, my gosh. All my other shows? Um, we could start with the titular Cage Club, which is uh, the Cage Club network flagship show joey and i just recently recorded a brand new episode of a brand new nick cage movie called the old way where nick cage is finally a cowboy i've been waiting since we started the podcast in 2015 i've always wanted to see cage as a cowboy did he disappoint you have to listen to the episode to find out let's see what else is out there the monsters that made us brand new episode it came out last week as of the day we recorded so the newest episode is abbott and costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So check that out on The Monsters That Made Us, the last Friday of every month with me and Dan Colon as we go through the history of the Universal Monster movies and beyond. What else is out there, Bride? Um, Third Time's a Charm. You were just on with our good friend Austin Wolf Southern. That episode will be out on February 3rd, and we talk Escape from the Planet of the Apes, a little Ryder McDowell, a little Kim Hunter, Cornelius and Zira, and their poor baby Milo. Who, um, <laughs> You're going to want to listen to that episode. No spoilers about the end of that movie, but boy, oh boy, that's sort of like a whiplash movie, you know? (laughs) It's one thing, and then it's suddenly something else. Um, Oh, uh, Joey and I also got together to record an episode of our Elvis podcast, Viva Pod Vegas. Have a lot of fun doing that. Fun in Acapulco was the latest episode where Elvis goes south of the border and... um, 
there's like a uh, what do they call it a bidding war over him singing at different resorts down there so check that out it's a lot of fun that movie can i say something quickly about fun in acapulco uh i always always remember this film and i haven't seen the entire thing oh nice the original release of wayne's world and wayne's world 2 on dvd had some of the greatest dvd menus of all time uh-huh. uh so what it was was you pop the dvd in and it was uh remember that channel uh, old school cable oh it like, yes it was like a blue channel yeah like all like the yep uh it was what, the channel channel it, it told you what was on every channel and it would just scroll on its own and that was the dvd menu but you could go yes. you could go through the channels and click what was on the other theoretical channels and one of them oh. was, one of them was fun in Acapulco and you could click it and it's the, a scene where Elvis does like a cliff diving thing and he comes back up and it's like you're my, oh my amigo God. we're friends that's that's the end of the movie oh is it well, I can't I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I tell you something crazy real quick sure. about that movie uh, for for folks that aren't going to listen to the podcast, and if you if this intrigues you, check it out. But Elvis is trying to get over like his fear of heights and diving in that movie, <laughs> and you wonder why. And he has a flashback standing on a high dive, and it it turns out that his character at one point was a trapeze artist, and his family were were like the high flying act, and he accidentally dropped his brother during a performance, oh, no. and his brother falls to his death <laughs> it's insane oh my it's crazy God. yeah so that's that's what i remember Google from a wayne's world dvd menu and i was so awesome. pissed i was so pissed when the blu-ray came out i bought it like first day because i love wayne's world and they just changed it to like one of those like static menus mm. like wayne's world you know oh well wayne's world no part three get at that where's wayne's world's where wayne and garth have to have kids like uh, daughters or something i don't know like a Bill and Ted Part Three, I could see that definitely. All these years later, like Wayne is running an actual TV studio, <laughs> like Garth <laughs> is in space working for NASA. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, so so many great shows you have, Mike. Let's see. I have High School Slumber Party. We recently restarted that after a brief hiatus. We're still we're still talking about all the teen films of 2022. With Island Addington, Austin Wolf Southern makes an appearance, Joey Lewandowski makes an appearance, and then we got nice. some really, really, really good stuff. We got some director interviews, at least one, so Ooh. you definitely want to check that out. I was going to promote Uncle Francis' Wine Cellar, but you can see the wine's getting to me. We're already on Uncle Francis' Wine Cellar, so don't need to promote that. <laughs> I was recently on two podcasts as a guest, well, three but you oh, already mentioned one, ooh. Mike. I, I was on yours, Third yes. Times a Charm. <laughs> Thank you. But I was also on Too Fast, Too Forever. We covered nice. Furious 7. That's the one with the beautiful, beautiful ending for Paul Walker in the series. Oh, nice. Yeah. Check that out. Uh, that was super fun. Love when the guys have me on there. Also, it was on a non-network podcast, Everybody, what? yes, everybody loves everybody loves Raymond, which is an everybody loves Raymond podcast. Doing those shows are so fun. Uh, they go through every episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. They're only on season two now, but I've been on twice. I hope that I'm on at least once cool. for every season. But they're really like if we're a little bit meta here in the wine cellar, 
like they're very meta about their location and their conversation about Raymond. Like they really get into it. And again, it's such a fun podcast to be a part of. So listen to that. Uh, I think you could follow them at Barone Zone everywhere, which that's Ray's last name in the show. Or you can just find Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond and check that podcast out. This is what we do, Mike, in our elderly years. We <laughs> we guest on podcasts, we host podcasts, and support us any way you can. Sponsor the show. But Mike, why don't you finally close this episode, which is a lot longer than I expected, but worth yep. worth it, I think. Leave the podcast and take the cannoli. This is the end. Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safety